Today's reading is taken from Second Corinthians chapter nine, verses six to fifteen. Chapter nine, verses six to fifteen. Remember this: whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor; their righteousness endures for ever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, and will enlarge the harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people. But it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you, because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. We're very delighted to welcome Dale to come and bring us a message. Thank you, Dale. Thank you to everyone for your warm welcome. Uh, let me pray for us for a moment as we look at this passage of Scripture. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Word to us. We pray that as we hear again your Word written, so your living Word, Jesus, will be known to us here in the Word and also in the breaking of the bread to come. We pray, Lord, that we'll meet Him, and in that meeting, we will be changed. We ask it in His name. Amen. Well, I wonder how you felt when you realised that today is another sermon on giving. Some hallelujahs out there? Yeah, I hope so.、Uh, two Corinthians chapters eight and nine give us the longest and most systematic treatment of Christian giving that we find anywhere in our Bibles.、Uh, when we get to the end of chapter nine, the tone is of praise and worship. That's what our giving should feel like. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Two Corinthians nine, verse fifteen, because the mood of two Corinthians eight and nine moves from at the beginning from that of the accountant, carefully working out right and proper the figures, the amounts, who's giving what to whom, and that's all right and proper. Some of my best friends are accountants, but we move from the accountant to the worshipper. By the end, we get to Hallelujah. Praise God for what He is doing. Now I have to acknowledge, as 
many years in pastoral ministry and common sense have taught me that money is a sensitive subject. Uh, apologies for what I think is going to be a scary picture that's going to come up on the screen. <laughs> the children have left, so it was safe to show it. I think you may have heard of this fellow, Donald Trump. For the sake of fairness, I need to point out there are other American political figures of fun and otherwise who you're free to vote for in the elections. But Donald Trump is someone who money is very important to. He took an author, Timothy O'Brien, to court over this stuff. Yeah, over money. He sued the author for defamation of character when he alleged in his book, the book title was uh, Trump Nation, The Art of Being a Donald, and uh, Timothy O'Brien alleged that his net worth of Mr. Trump was a mere 150 to 200 million U.S. dollars rather than the 7 billion that Mr. Trump claimed. Mr. Trump lost the case. Ah. It was not found to be actual malice, according to the New Jersey Appeals Court. But at the heart of our vision of our significance of our life and our life worth, we have to be worth more than our net worth, if I can put it that way. A vision of life that its worth is found in Christ, as, as he who so helpfully described last week in his sermon on chapter 8. So when it comes to dealing with money, it's not about our net worth that grasps us. It is about our Christ worth that grasps us. So we are involved in the task not just of fundraising, but of faith raising, of appreciating that our real enduring worth lies in Christ. Well, today in chapter 9, I'm, I'm more or less working back from the end of the chapter, because that's where we find the punchline, so to speak. The key thought that stands behind all of Paul's teaching in this chapter, and at the end of the chapter, it bursts out into the open. And the first thing we discover here is that to encourage our faith is in verse 14 and 15 that God is indescribably generous. In verse 14, the surpassing grace of God that he has given you. In verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Indescribable means there are no words for it. Generosity is the great theme of this letter. God's generosity and ours. In verse 6, we heard about sowing generously, reaping generously. Verse 11, being generous in every way and generosity overflowing into thanksgiving to God. Uh, Christian giving is always in response to what, gives us, to, to what God gives us first. I feel a little bit like a kind of character from Mary Poppins or something when I say, how often do you stop and count your blessings? I'm sure that's in a Disney film or something weird like that. But just think about it for a moment. I mean, our material blessings, uh, even the poorest of us here in Hong Kong is fabulously rich on a global scale. We have such abundance. And how much more are we blessed in other ways? The, the generosity of God's forgiveness Every sin, past, present, future, every sin, thought, word, and deed forgiven through the cross of Christ. Such is his generosity. Spiritual blessings. How much? How many? 
every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours. Not, not few, not many, but every. All forgiveness, all blessing, the gift of life and hope and unshakable purpose for our life. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's all ours. Just stop and consider for a moment. This is an extravagant picture of God's dealing with us. Like the person at the buffet in Hong Kong, he says, oh yeah, I'll have some more. That's how it is. Words cannot do justice to God's generosity towards us. Literally, I mean literally, that often misused word, it is literally indescribable. Verse 15 says, there are no words to describe God's generosity. So however generous you think that God is, no, he's more generous than that. If you can imagine his generosity towards you, your imagination isn't big enough to contain it. Here we're in the territory of, uh, as 1 Corinthians chapter 2 puts it, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. That's how generous God is. And perhaps the only kind of picture we can come close to grasping is the one a few verses earlier in chapter 8, as he so helpfully pointed out last week, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's probably the only picture our, our finite minds can begin to grasp. And he pointed it out so helpfully in that valuable sermon last week. If you've not heard it for any reason, do catch up on the website. A sermon about truly generous, grace-based, distinctively Christian giving. Well, we're never more like God than when we give generously. As Christians, we give not in response to need or response to rules such as tithing or even in response to vision. The decision that we make is always in response to God's generosity to us. God is indescribably generous. This is why we give. Uh, Second thing we see here to build our faith is that God is the ultimate supplier. He's the one we trust. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in all good work. God is the one who supplies our needs. Those wonderful series of alls, I love that passage. All grace, all things, all times, all that you need, all good work that's going to go on. Now here at Charting Church, I'm aware that God has supplied our needs in wonderful ways for many years. As I say, I was back here in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, as the church was uh, planned and prayed into existence. Is Is it just Clarissa who's here from these days? Anybody else right from before the church began, probably just Clarissa and myself at this point. And, uh, but Charting Church can look back on God's faithful provision over many years and is looking forward to the wonderful steps of growth that are happening. And I have no doubt that as God gives us opportunities, we will need to give more to support and fulfill them. It's simply how it is. 
But we need to remember that God is ultimately the supplier. We don't put our trust even in the wonderful people of Shartin Church and your generosity and commitment that has been shown over so many years. And we thank God for this and we pray it's going to continue. But we don't trust in you. We trust in God. It it sounds basic. (laughs) I trust in God, yeah, for sure. But in a church in Hong Kong, it's vital to remember this because in every international church in Hong Kong, there is a turnover of people. It is simply how it is. People come to Hong Kong, people leave Hong Kong. But because we believe that God is faithful, even in turnover of people, we can commit ourselves to long-term mission, ministry, and growth. I'm reminded of the, I find it amusing, a story of the two people who were shipwrecked on the desert island. Uh, One of them is pacing about desperately. They'll never find us. What will we do? How will we survive? But the other person is just relaxed, sunbathing on the beach. Don't worry, he says. I earn $150,000 a week, and I tithe faithfully to our local church. Nothing on earth will stop our treasurer finding me. <laughs> now, now, that's not how it works. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying we wouldn't look for you, but, but you know what I mean. U- ultimately, it's not about who is doing the giving. It is about the faithfulness of God through his people. I remember one time I was involved in the startup of a new ministry. Uh, we had just called a first full-time minister to come and serve. We had just committed to buying a property and one of our uh, largest and key supporters had to move away. Uh, God still provided, and the leadership, myself included, could have reduced our stress levels if we had deepened our trust in God as the ultimate supplier. We learned that lesson over the last few years over at St. Andrews. As some of you know, we've been involved in a huge development project, about 180 million Hong Kong dollars, about 150 million of which have been raised uh, from giving. Uh, And as we went on, we have lots of testimonies to how God has provided. Uh, We prayed, we planned, we had events. uh, We paid every bill on time to the contractors until Christmas 2015. And then we ran out, by then we'd run out of money. Uh, We didn't have any money left. So we let the church know. Well, we've been letting them in a church for a while. But the builder said, that's fine. You've been like the best payers we've ever had. You've paid on time, promptly, in full, every month. But we've got to have the money by Chinese New Year, you know, to pay our suppliers and sell our bonuses. So we went back to praying. And, and like every Christian story for this kind of thing seems to say, just at the last minute, when we had to pay the bill, write the check, uh, a great chunk of money appeared in our bank account that we hadn't entirely expected as an interest-free loan. It's a good reminder that it was God who was the supplier. So God is generous. We can imitate him. Uh, God is our ultimate supplier, so let's trust him. Uh, thirdly, God, God is clear about how things work. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, absolutely clear. Little commitment sees little results. Generous commitment will see generous blessing. Uh, Preacher and theologian R.C. Sproul asked a group of ministers, uh, how much ministry can you do for $100? There was a hushed silence as they waited for some profound wisdom 
from the great man? His answer, you can do about $100 worth. He was making the point that it doesn't matter who you are, fruitful ministry requires resources. And here at Chartin Church, I know that under God's guidance, the leadership, and indeed the whole church following the decision at the annual meeting, uh, is inviting people to give to support this faithful, fruitful ministry that God is taking and using more and more for the service of his kingdom. And Paul describes God's blessing on this generosity in verse 11. You'll be made rich in every way, so you can be generous on every occasion, and through your generosity, that will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, sadly, some people have mistakenly twisted this into a mechanical giving so I get approach. You know, if I give $4, God's going to give me at least $5 back. Nonsense. Uh, I remember I was living in Canada at the time, and I got a letter asking me to send uh, $10 to this bless this so-and-so's ministry. In return, they said I was guaranteed to receive at least $20. It always struck me that if they really believed that, they should have sent me the $10 (laughs) on the assumption they'd get the $20 back. But there you go. And I'll let you into secret. The fastest way to get off that kind of organization's mailing list is to send them a message saying just that. No, the, the, the true picture here in 2 Corinthians is, is of being a person who gives generously and yet has enough to give more. It's the person in Psalm 112 who always scatters his gifts to the poor, yet his righteousness grows. This kind of person is blessed in so many ways. So God is generous. Let's imitate him. God is our supplier, ultimately. Let's trust him. God is clear about how things work, and he wants to be able to bless us. And fourthly, God is concerned about our attitude. Preachers always point out that when it says that God loves a cheerful giver, well, the word... Will it work? There you go. That was quick. Uh, The word is the word in English we get hilarious from. It's that kind of giver. It's hilarious. The person who laughs so much that tears of joy are rolling down their face. Yes, I want to do what God loves. And I know, well, that if I am generous like that, if I get my attitude to what God wants right, it's going to please him. God delights in those who delight to give. That's a pretty good reason to give, I think. I'm struck in verse 7 that uh, reluctance or compulsion are banned. Nobody's compelled. Compulsion speaks about telling your child to play nicely. You know, share your toys now. Yeah, right, that works. Uh, The word translated reluctantly, don't want a reluctant giver in verse 7, is literally, you don't give from pain. That's the word there. And church treasurers don't like it when I say it, but it's true. If you don't want to give, don't give. God doesn't want that kind of giving. He doesn't want reluctant or miserable giving from pain. I have to recall the first formal sermon I ever preached. And I have to say, it was terrible. Uh, I was a student and quite a new Christian. I was given the text to preach on, you cannot serve God and mammon. And I can still remember the sermon. That's how bad it was. It was the sort of sermon that would have made, I don't know, Mother Teresa 
St. Francis of Assisi feel guilty for their extravagant and selfish lifestyles. Uh, strangely, that evening, the, the collection in the plate quadrupled. It was the biggest collection we'd ever had. The only problem, as the vicar pointed out, probably nobody will come back next week. <laughs> well, it wasn't true. They, they came back because they were a very gracious uh, congregation, helping me with my first steps in discovering a gift in preaching. But if I've ever seen giving from pain, it was that night. <laughs> but here... In verse 12, we see it's not pain, but a sense of sharing in what is God is doing. There is thanksgiving, there is prayer, there is hearts going out to one another. This is not giving to stop the pain, it is giving to share the joy. Not far to go now through the chapter. God is generous, let's imitate him. God is our ultimate supplier, let's trust him. God is clear about how it works and he, and he wants us to be blessed. God is concerned about our attitude. He, he, he loves to see us joyfully give. Uh, fifthly, God is aware of our situation. Verse 7, each of you must give as you've made up your mind. It is up to each one of us to decide responsibly what we give. That's why things like pledging and plan giving schemes are so helpful. We, we plan, we think, we pray. General rule in all these giving things is you think, how generous can I be? You think of an amount... Well, if you double that, that's normally what you give by the end of it. That's how these things work. God, God knows our heart and also our situation. Our situations vary enormously. Some of us have regular income, others irregular. Some on fixed income, no income, or pension. There are members of families where they are perhaps the only Christian believer in the family, and, and God is aware of that issue, and it is a hard one. Oh, the list could go on. But I believe there's always a, a challenge to decide, yes, I, I, I will give, instead of the temptation to ignore or sidestep the issue. God knows our circumstances and accepts our honest, generous decisions. As you heard last week uh, in chapter 8, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what we do not have. And finally, we need to remember that God expects action. Good intentions themselves, even pledges, are not enough. Show me the money. <laughs> the end of the day. That's the start of the chapter, chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. There's some pretty severe comments about saying, okay, you guys, you're going to give, then give. It's not quite saying we know where you live and we'll send the boys around to collect the money. But nearly. Talk is cheap. The Corinthians had promised much, and deliver little. I'm interested to note that Paul uses the word obedience in verse 13, that their faithfulness in giving needs to match their confession, what they had to say of the gospel. It's a reflection of their gospel integrity and faithfulness. God is concerned about what we do, not just what we promise or what we might do, or we might do one day when things are different or better, or someday, or one day, or... Or never. The old saying is true, perhaps particularly in Christian circles, when all is said and done, a lot more is said than done. Well, six truths in this chapter, truths about God that encourage our faith in the area of Christian giving. God is generous, let's imitate him. God is our ultimate supplier, let's trust him. 
God is clear about how things work and he wants to bless us. God is concerned about our attitude. He loves a cheerful giver. God is aware of our situation. We need to come to an honest, prayerful decision about what we're going to give. And lastly, God always wants to know, what did you do about it? Let me pray for us for a moment. Father, we want to thank you for your indescribable generosity. And we pray you'll help us, Father, to be people for whom giving is a joy and not a duty or a burden. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to this church for so many years, and we look to it to continue in the future. I pray you will continue to guide and lead this congregation and provide through the generosity of its people. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.